Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings toward Jamie and Brienne. I'm YD. I mean, I mean, Eon, your moderator for this very special podcast. It's the Eon show tonight, bitches. It sure is. So is. Oh, I thought you were doing a British accent there for a minute. <laughs> tonight, oh, going to be have, one of those. Yeah. <laughs> tonight, we have our, our usual suspects, the awesome Chicky. Hi, this is Chicky. I'm Chick Run on Tumblr. Our Aussie Sheila YD. <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is YD, and I'm Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. The Bangin' Karma. <laughs> Hi, this is Karma, and you can find me at Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. And last, we have a returning guest, the awesome Clotho. Hi, this is Clotho, and I'm Clotho Spindle on Tumblr. Yay! Awesome! Yay! <laughs> Glad to have you back. Always happy Clotho. with Clotho in so the house. So excited! Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. <laughs> yeah. So we're covering episode ten, "Fire and Blood," the conclusion to season one of Game of Thrones. And I'd like to throw out our spoiler warning: we spoil anything and everything, as well as a blanket trigger warning for rape and violence tonight. Good call. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get started on this, okay? Let's do it. Our first... Uh, y'all ready? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay. so ready because we're finally finished with season one, you guys. I feel like this is a triumphant moment. It's awesome. It is. I'm so glad we're we're having... We're putting this behind us. It's been a long and winding journey. <laughs> right? Put this in the fire. Yeah. Throw yes. it in the fire. All right, so our first scene takes place immediately after the beheading of poor Ned Stark. We see ice dripping blood, followed by Sir Ellen Payne holding up Ned's sav- severed head before a cheering crowd. We then have Yorin shielding Arya from the sight. He begins referring to her as boy and takes her to a secluded alleyway and proceeds to cut her hair while saying, We're going north, boy, north. Wow, that oh, sounds God. creepy, doesn't it? He takes her to a secluded alleyway. <laughs> <laughs> I actually watched this episode on uh, my computer on HBO Go and it had like the extra little videos going. I accidentally clicked the wrong thing. And there was a video from like the hair design guy about how they did the the scene with Maisie and they were they had to like go in and re-sew in like new little hair extensions every time that they did a take of this scene. They said they had it down pat so that they were able to do it in like nine minutes, sew it back in. And he was cutting her hair with a real knife, like right next to her face. Wow. Oh, oh wow. I didn't know that. So, uh, oh, okay. It was for real. Oh. Well, that might explain. But it's a, it's well, a wig and... afterwards, right? Because it looked kind of I think so. Yeah, it's a wig weird at the end, at the end. Yeah, well, uh, it did look like someone had taken a knife to her hair, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do, does anyone else have anything to say about the scene? Oh, um, well, and then Santa fainting, you guys. Oh, that was amazing. Oh, oh, yes. She faints well. 
Yeah. I, I like actually, the... they actually mentioned that on the commentary, though. They said that uh, Sophie Turner actually did that several times, sort of falling into a, a nice padded surface, and she did it brilliantly every time, which I agree <laughs> with. It looked real to me. It looked real. I, just, I liked how when they did the execution, there was no sound initially, mm. and then, boom, you know, you, you start to hear it. And, uh, no, it was intense, and it gets me every time, and, yeah, yeah. That's all mm. I got. It was pretty effective, I think, the way they did the sound. And what's also interesting, actually, is in the commentary, they they were talking about uh, when they were casting for Arya, and apparently they saw over 200 girls for her role, and Maisie was actually one of the last people that they saw, and they said, yeah, they just knew immediately when she, when she auditioned that she was right for the role, which I think, good call, because I think she's actually probably one of the best out of the kids and definitely one of the standouts. Oh, yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. So now we're in Winterfell, where Bran has had another three-eyed raven dream. The raven wants him to go down into the crypts. Osha takes Bran down into the crypts. They pass Lord Rickard's and Lyanna's tomb and come to an empty crypt where he saw his father in his dream. And then a wild shaggy dog scares the piss out of them. Mm, sure <laughs> I know. Rickon calls Shaggy Dog off, then reveals that he has had the same dream. Once they leave, they encounter Meister Lewin holding a letter with news of their father's death. Mm. Oh God! I, I this is liked... such a creepy scene in the books too. I love how they kind of captured that. Yeah, yeah it's just eyes, it's like oh, just her. I do wonder. On her I face. mean, <laughs> they did a nice job laying in a bunch of exposition, although I don't think we hear much about Leanna and and Rickard and, you know, being roasted alive again, mm. or not for a long time, do we? Not really, no. no. There's a little more of that sort of uh, background uh, of the Stark family in the books, and I think Jackie's right, I think they did a, a relatively good sort of adaptation of it. They are capturing the real sort of eeriness you get when you're down in the crypts. In, there's a yeah. little bit of a divergence, because in the books... Um, I think Shaggy Dog actually attacks Maester Lewin and he gets quite a a deep cut, I think, on his arm. So Maester Lewin Mm. is down there with them. Um, And in the books, it's sort of more highlighted that the reason Shaggy Dog has gotten sort of wild is because it's a a reflection on Rickon's current mental state and how he's, I guess he's missing his mum, he's missing his family and he's he's gone a bit Mm. nuts. So they don't really Running wild. Right, exactly. (laughs) They don't really indicate that in the show so much. But I thought it was a well done scene. No, they talk about it. It's a little bit it starts um when Rob is trying to get Catelyn to to leave Bran's bedroom and it's like, Mm. I don't know what to do with this kid. I mean, so there's Mm. basically I mean, I assume there are servants and stuff, but this kid is pretty much running you know. Yeah, they, do, he's got they nobody. do mention it a bit earlier on, don't they? Yeah, but I and I just want to say I do. I also completely agree that it's cool that they ran back through the whole Liana thing and everything. Mm. You know, like they have in this season in season one, they really set up um, what will be kind of the formula of Game of Thrones going forward, which is that um, episode nine tends to have a really big game changing moment, and then episode ten is kind of fallout, and then set up for the next the next season. Yeah, and it's really great right. that they played through the history as they were playing through the kids, kind of. Um, dealing with this at the same time Mm. yeah all right so now we're at rob's camp and we see catelyn stoically walking through the encampment while the northmen bow and pay their condolences 
Once she is out of sight, she breaks down. Hearing something deeper in the woods, she finds Rob hacking his sword against a tree in, in grief and anger. Catelyn comforts Rob. Rob vows to kill them all. Catelyn reminds him that they still have the girls, and once they get them back, they will kill them all. Oh, God. This scene. This scene. Right? Oh. This scene broke my soul. Oh. I think this scene oh. is one of the standouts for this episode, and both Michelle Fairley and Richard Madden do an incredible job in this scene. You know, you just see... As you were saying, Eon, Kat sort of initially sort of putting on this stoic facade, you know, she's trying to, I guess, be the lady that she is, be the dignified woman that she is. And then as soon as she reaches the forest, she just collapses, I guess. She's just see this immense grief kind of pouring out of her. And then Rob, oh, God, you know, there's this, he's his kid, really, and he's just having to grow up so fast and become this battle commander and he's... He's holding the lives of thousands of men in his hands and he's just lost his father. And then he turns and he sees his mum and he just loses it. You know, you kind of see him regressing back to being a little boy in a way, to Mm -hmm. to being her baby, and he kind of collapses into her arms for comfort. Oh, wow. (laughs) This is one of those scenes that really, really affects you, I think. I love it. You know, this is like one of the the places where, you know, it's so clear that the show can do things that the books can't do. And the way that this whole episode like smash cuts basically between everyone's reactions to Ned's death, you know, starting with the girls who are present and then just moving through the rest of the family is amazing. Yeah. But the way that they mm-hmm. slide into this with the camera like following Catelyn from behind her head as she's walking through the camp and you're seeing what she sees, which is people mm-hmm. staring at her and like wondering how on earth she's coping with the news she's just gotten yeah. is unbelievable and then yeah like you were talking about why do you she goes into the woods where she can finally be alone and and she can finally grieve a little bit and then no she sees rob and the way that they frame the shot where she sees rob killing the oh, tree the yeah. yeah oh the mm. light clothes the light yeah, like, flashing yeah, yeah. oh god it was gorgeous it was like, yeah it was kind of wild like the backlit like it was nice yeah it was a nice shot someone yeah. really cared about this episode. You can just tell that there was yeah. love involved in mm. in basically every scene. They wanted to do it right. And they did. Yeah. They yeah. really did. And, and Michelle Fairley and Richard Madden have amazing chemistry together. They really oh, do. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They really play off each other so well. Um, yeah. I like all their scenes. I mean, they're, they're, they're fascinating to watch. Mm. And uh, I loved, in fact, it's funny, Anne, you just said stoically and I had that same exact phrase as she sort of yeah <laughs> but and then I loved how they they had all the Northmen kind of you know like they're not gonna oh how you do it you know they're they did it right it was really well yeah. done yeah just to um, bring, a, I guess, a little bit of levity to this scene, in the commentary we learn that Richard Madden actually had a huge party in his room the night before they shot this scene. So those glassy eyes and the look of nausea, that's just method <laughs> acting. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Oh, I needed that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Set the scene. Yes. I love you, Clotho. We love having Clotho on. It's the best. You and your burps. All right. So do we have anything more to say about about Catelyn and Rob yet? Mm, no. I'm good. All right. I think we All right. poured our hearts out. We did. All right. Let's, let's move to King's Landing now. So we have Joffrey is holding court 
Marillion the singer has been brought before him charged with making up an amusing but offensive song about Robert and Cersei. Joffrey asks <laughs> if he'd like to keep his hands or his tongue, and Marillion responds that everyone needs hands, so Joffrey commands Ellen Payne to cut out his tongue. <laughs> and this is where book readers probably realise that Marillion wasn't going to play as big a role in the show as he does in the book. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> or any role. Any role. <laughs> it's so hilarious that they have Ellen Payne cut someone's tongue out. Right? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Do you think he looks kind of partially? Do you think he looked partially gleeful at that news? He did. He's holding the attention. It's for Ellen's time to shine. Right. Right. I, I right. like Cyrillin. I like the casting. It's too bad. I, the actor died, didn't he? Or he had cancer? No, I think he's still, he's still alive, he, actually. He's oh. only still alive. They say he's making a recovery. So I think he's in remission. Oh, wonderful. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. I did not okay. know that. That's good to know. Yeah, that's that's really good news. Maybe Cyrillin will make a return to Game of Thrones. It's a maybe random thing. Maybe he'll join. Scene. Oh, I was just going to say, maybe he'll say. join. You go ahead, Chloe, though. <laughs> I just not like the old core. I miss that. I'm you know so used to seeing the the new Joffrey you know re envisioned throne room that I kind of miss the vines and the warm and the I don't know it's random. <laughs> they don't show the detail as much anymore, do they? No, they don't. No, it's a lot yeah. more bleak. Yeah, it's just a colder. Mm. I have to say, I think this was a really cool use of music in this scene too, because they had Marillion playing this song and he was clearly in big trouble. You know, you, mm-hmm. you didn't you didn't get it right at the beginning of the scene, but it was. A little melancholy and they kind of are like panning to Sansa's face and like you know she's yeah. clearly trying to be stoic and, and everything but you can tell she's just like got misery going on underneath and it's so reflected in the song it was it was again this is just this whole episode was just really well done somebody mm-hmm. really cared about how every single scene was framed and sounded and felt uh, it was beautiful yeah so then we have Joffrey he takes Sansa to the walls to see her father's head and makes her look at it. He cruelly mocks her, promising he will bring her Rob's head next. Sansa responds with Rob might give her his head instead. Infuriated, Joffrey orders Sir Marin Trant to beat her. And then Sander Clegane offers some kind words to her, dabs the blood from her lip with a handkerchief, and also prevents her from pushing Joffrey off the wall. Yes, he should. Yeah, awesome. I love Sansa in this scene. It yeah. is much like Rob. It's so heartbreaking to watch, but she's being so strong here, and you can see that she's just telling herself to check out, to just not give Joffrey yeah. the satisfaction of reacting to seeing Ned. Um, and I don't know, it's such a brave thing to do, and you sort of do get shades of Catelyn here, I think, as well. You know, they're yeah. both trying to be very strong. She really is a mother's daughter in this scene. I don't know. I think Sophie Turner just does a really excellent job here. She she has very little dialogue. Most of her acting mm-hmm. is done with her face. Um, and it's just a sort of very nuanced performance by her. I really oh I gosh. can't sing her pra- praises high, highly enough, I think, for this scene. Oh, yeah, she looks she like quite... she's run through the ringer. Yeah. 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 And you know, she runs through quite a was... gamut of emotion, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see it. You see it in her face. Mm-hmm. And she looks committed to pushing him off. Like there's, a, you could tell, like you know, until he sort of breaks the spell and comes up to her. Like she's 
uh, you know, I'm pretty convinced that she would have done it if she wasn't, you know. The funny part <laughs> oh, about yeah, that is that she has just said, oh, please send me back to Winterfell. I won't do any treason. And then she immediately tries to push him off the sure. walkway. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, I remember there was this big controversy whenever it first aired because there was a head on one of those spikes that apparently yeah. looked like George W. Bush. Yeah. It oh, was George Bush, I, really I think. That. I yeah. think they had to issue yeah. an apology for that. I think they had to fix it. I think it really was. They got it from like a novelty shop or something. Yeah, they did. Oh, God. I I really loved the whole. And I liked the beginning. I mean, well, there was a little more. I think, isn't this the first substantial Sansan? Kind of stuff? Sort of is, yeah. It's kind of like the foreshadowing of, of the developing relationship. But I yeah. and I thought he um what's his name the kid who plays Joffrey uh Jack oh, Jack Gleason right oh, God he was good he does it so well I mean that sort of yeah. you love to hate just, him yeah he's <laughs> good they were all and I thought um oh God I'm gonna screw up his name it's Rory McCann, McCann. who plays Rory Sander McCann. That's yeah mm-hmm. I mean he did a nice job too like you kind of got the sense that he felt you know he wasn't gonna show that he felt sorry for her but you know. There's, it's there, and it, it was nicely done. Yeah, yeah, it really well. Yeah, the whole thing is 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 so well done, and it's so clever the way that they framed it and everything with <laughs> Joffrey standing out like on this little oh, like bridge with no, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> little, nothing little protecting money, no protection. Yeah, yeah. You can see oh. a moment in his eyes where she's coming up to him, like he just can't believe it. You know, he's just yeah. oh, so, he's oh. so uh, the arrogance. Wait, wait. She arrogance. Yeah, yeah he just. Oh. <laughs> Well, abusers never can. I mean, that's always yeah. a shock to them when somebody mm. does stand up to them. And I mean, he's already got that. I mean, a nice little workaround there, too, with the, oh, I'm not supposed to hit you myself, but hey, I'm going to have, you know. <laughs> Marin Trent's totally into that kind of thing. <laughs> and that's kind of Cersei's thing in the books, you know, when she has yeah. the other, you know, the kid, she doles out the punishment to the children by having like the, their friends oh, the punished and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, so yeah. that was like her MO. <laughs> Although, that's fairly standard medieval. That's not yeah. anything unusual. That has a long history. No, seriously. A whipping boy, I mean, that's a term that's been around for centuries. But, yeah. I mean, she, she did tell him, that don't we see. That her, would be meaningless so. with Joffrey. Joffrey wouldn't care. Yeah, about that's, yeah that's true. That's Joffrey true. would actually do it more. Yeah. <laughs> like the reverse, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Back at Rob's camp, the Northmen are gathered. One King proposes the they pledge. Yes, <laughs> one proposes they pledge fealty to Renly's campaign, but Rob objects, stating that Renly is not first in line after Robert Stannis is. Great John pro- proposes that Rob should be the king in the North. They don't want to follow any Southerner. Everyone, including Theon, pledged their allegiance to Rob, the king in the North. King in the North. King in the yeah. North. So yeah, this is what I love. Well, I love a few things about this scene. I love how Great John has gone from essentially feeling sort of complete disdain for Rob, thinking he's just uh, some yeah. kid, you know, some green boy playing at being a man, to now being his totally devoted follower. It it kind of really speaks to how Rob has come into his own here and how he's 
he's really inspired these men to follow him, you know, to follow him to their deaths. Um, it's it's one of those scenes that you get in the movies, one of these sort of epic scenes where you have the music swelling and there's this sort of yeah. passionate call <laughs> to arms, so to speak. Right. And, you know, where the hero's men get behind him and there's this sort of rousing sense of camaraderie. It's, you know, I've always kind of been a sucker for these scenes. So I think this one was beautifully done. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I love how organic it is, too, because, you know, this is how it feels in the books. You you know, you don't really see it coming. Um, it is it is the great John. It is, you know, the men of the North who are like, you know what? Fuck this whole idea of a yep. king of the seven kingdoms. You know, we, we're our own damn kingdom in <laughs> Yeah. And they really managed to capture that feeling. I mean, it was a groundswell. This is where it came from. It's not like Rob declared himself king in the exactly. North. His people did. And you sort of mm-hmm. see in Rob's face, he's sort of sort of partially hesitant, but also really kind of digging it at the same time. And he's, yeah, he, he really sort of off. rises to the occasion. <laughs> yeah. Okay, can I? Can and Catelyn's face in the background. Oh, yeah. Theon. Is that old lady oh. Mage Mormont or supposed to be her, do you think? I think yeah. it's supposed I really to be her. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the commentary yeah. I think they confirmed her. it. Yeah. Oh, did okay. it confirm okay. it? Okay. I think so. Is it? Some kind of, yeah. Summary. Oh, yeah. I read a summary where somebody confirmed that it was her on the yeah. on the producers. It was about time you know, we saw one of the Mormont women. Yeah. Something right? that totally I had totally forgotten or just had never noticed before was that Theon makes that oath that he will never betray Rob and oh my god the feelings am oh. I your brother so, now so, and so, always so oh. and, you know you get from him like I just I was looking at him like he just wants to please every like you just get this feeling like the look on his face like he wants I don't know I think whoever he's around he wants them to be a part of it to he be the wants best, to yeah. belong and I think yeah. that's his yeah. big issue he never has ever since yeah. he's been a little boy like he was raised with the Stark kids, but it was always clear he was never a Stark kid. You know, yeah. That's he talks about his homeland and he misses it, and he doesn't belong there, as we will see in season two when he yeah. tries to go home. Mm. He has no, and no one respects him. The ki- even little no. Rickon. Yeah, I mean yeah. they totally yeah. diss him, all of them. <laughs> I, I and... think they set up Theon really well for, yeah. for his ultimate betrayal this season. As Connor said, you've seen him going around getting no respect from anyone, not from the Starks, not from even the whores. Like even Roz wasn't afraid of him. <laughs> and as you say, it is really reinforced throughout his scenes just how much of an outsider he is wherever he goes. I mean. He, with the Starks, he, he's not one of them, not really. And when he goes home, he's not one of them either. So I I have a lot of sympathy towards Theon. I, I really do. Yeah, there's definitely desperation to him. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, uh, it just, it really, I think maybe because I know what's going to happen, it just has more resonance now or something. Because yeah, I have I to that. admit, the first time I watched the show, I didn't, I had a hard time telling all these people apart, and he just sort of, like, <laughs> totally uh-huh. escaped my radar. And now I'm like, oh, wow. I mean, he really does have this arc that's, I mean, it's going to be fascinating to watch the, yeah. on the rewatch. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay, so Catelyn pays a visit to a captive Jamie Lannister who taunts her about Ned's death and offers to serve her as a lover. <laughs> she hits she hits him with a rock. He tells her to continue hitting him because he doesn't fear death. Catelyn tells him 
He has violated the laws of man and gods. He asks, where were Ned's gods when his head was cut off? She says, injustice in the world is because of men like him. Jamie responds with, there are no men like me, only me. Then he admits that he pushed Bran out the window, but doesn't reveal why. So, so last week, Chicky was talking about how it took her a while to warm to Nicola's performance of Jamie. (laughs) And that his sort of bold snarkiness in his scene with Rob sold it to her. This is a similar scene for me. This for me is book Jamie right here. He's got no filter, no regrets. He's unrepentant. It's just a real window into how Jamie views the world and himself in this scene. He talks about how he doesn't fear death. The dark is coming for all of us. He talks about how he doesn't believe in the gods. You know, Jamie's mm-hmm. not naive. He's not He's not like Brienne. He's, he's more world savvy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it was a fairly good portrayal of Jamie in this scene. And my God, could you cut the sexual tension between him and Catelyn with a knife? <laughs> they are really good I'm, together. I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, are. I know I'm a shipper and all, but they are really good, those two actors. Get out. No, I'm just well, kidding. I agree. <laughs> Honestly, I think there's Jamie Catelyn chemistry in the books. I, see I really it. do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I see it. Yeah. Honestly, no. But one of the things I that just... I love about this is that they have, you know, pulled from this clash conversation that Catelyn mm-hmm. and, and Jamie have that is one of the seminal moments in yeah. the books mm-hmm. and they have kind of dispersed it throughout you know basically this season and the second season they, they've just pulled little bits of it because it's so rich you can do that you can totally unpack yeah. it and just they spread did, it out they did say that they wanted to include more jamie in season one and who could blame them really so yeah they actually took yeah. it i think well, they needed is, to they needed to actually somewhere the closer to the end of a clash of kings too so you're right it's at the very end yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's great that they did this. I love that they included things like him saying, you know, I'll service you and all this stuff. I mean, like, it's oh, just so Jamie. Like, you know, I love a violent woman. That's so foreshadowing. I love a violent woman. He, so yeah, he threw that in. He so does. He <laughs> the, the two things I thought that struck me with this scene, one was the comment about how he didn't fear death. And that sort of... um in a previous episode where Ned tells Varys, um, you know, I'm a soldier. I, mm. you know, I, I, know, I think that is something they have in common. Yeah. And the other thing that I just love is he's so snarky. He's so vile. Mm. And then after he's left alone, the camera just lingers on his face for like another moment. And you see that sort of mask just kind of, like he, yes. it's, it's yeah. beautifully played. Yeah, he really, Mm -hmm. you know what he plays really well is Jamie's bravado that you Mm -hmm. you kind of begin to understand that he has, you understand it in Storm of Swords, but you understand it even more in Feast, which is Mm -hmm. Jamie will kind of say one thing, but something else is going on beneath the surface. And it's like, you know, he admits the thing with Bran and, and, you know, you see in his face, Nikolai is really, really subtle here. You see that slight hesitation of it's like, you know, I didn't enjoy pushing him out the window, but I'm going to pretend that I did. (laughs) He's like, yeah. (laughs) Well, that's it. I mean, the so thing perfect. about Jamie is, is that he's he's now taken on the persona of the Kingslayer. He's been dealing with this for so many years now, the loathing from other people, the disgust, the, the hatred. And he's he's essentially taken on this role himself outwardly. But of course, as Chicky was saying, inside his head is another matter. And you do see those little sort of little bits of, I guess, guilt, of regret, sort of slip through and Nikolai does a really fantastic job with just that that subtle facial acting you really can see it this was a brilliant scene I think 
yeah, mm-hmm. really, really good. And I don't think that's just because we're huge Jamie fans. I think it really is. Good. <laughs> You're a Jamie yeah. fan? What? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, uh, just briefly, they do talk about Jamie's character a little bit in the commentary. So the commentary is, I don't think I mentioned this before, it's David and Dan and also is Alan Taylor, the, the director of the episode. Mm. Alan Taylor is his name, I think. Um, yeah. Okay, so anyway, they talk about they talk about how Jamie is this really great character. He's not a one-dimensional villain. He has layers. You can, you know, see these layers coming through his regret, his self-loathing, etc. So they seemingly understand Jamie's character, at least partially, at this point. At this point, yeah. (laughs) Then they kind of go and ruin the illusion by calling back to Jamie's scene with Tywin and saying he is a wounded son. Um, (laughs) So, Mm. I don't know. It's it's interesting to to listen to the way that they view Jamie and they sort of get it right and they sort of don't get it right and I think that is indicative of the way that they treat Jamie further on in the series. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I honestly think I think they love Jamie. Mm, I think that they, they um are invested personally in his in his story. I I do think though they have a little bit of a a fundamental misunderstanding of of who Jamie really really is. They're close. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, I think they, Nikolai knows. Yeah, they, <laughs> I think they, they've called him it. a monster before. Right. And that, yeah. me. that bugged me so that's, bad because that's the, such a miss. Ugh, that's not is. even. Yeah. No, it yeah. really is. And the, the thing with with the showrunners, the thing with the writers, is that they have this inherent difficulty with portraying the shades of grey. Um, yeah. We see yeah, that exactly. over and over and over again. We see it with Jamie. We've seen it with Tyrion very much. So. Yeah, or a reluctance, at least, I guess, a a reluctance to actually do it. And and that's definitely true with Jamie. But yeah, no, I think they love Jamie. I think they're trying. I think it I think there is just a fundamental misunderstanding. But I I honestly am going to say I think everything that Jamie is, we owe to Nikolai Kosterwaldo, because I think he knows Jamie. And he he does his Mm -hmm. best in every scene to actually be Jamie. And he does a pretty damn good job. Yeah, I I think, well, there's I have nothing to add. I, I just... It's that, I don't know if they just went, oh, this is way too complicated for the audience. There's too many characters, so we're just going to simplify everyone, or if they just have a fundamental misunderstanding for these people because I think it's a little of both i mean i think i think it's both i think with jamie it's a misunderstanding i think with some of the the characters like say Tyrion, i think they understand Tyrion. they just are reluctant yeah. with yeah. jamie i think there's a genuine misunderstanding because they're not reluctant to let jamie be gray they just they just don't seem to quite completely not quite you know they, yeah. ha- they don't have the advantage that we have of focusing on like you know especially with this podcast, other than calm, you know, most of us are focused on just Jamie and Brienne and, mm-hmm. you know, we've really gone on in depth with them. Well, they're dealing with, you know, 40 characters that they've had to go in depth yeah. with. And so they don't have mm-hmm. quite all the nuance of Jamie that maybe yeah. we see. Yeah. Which is I why, think, yeah. you know, we're lucky when we get actors who actually, you know, read the part, you know, from the books yeah. and actually take time to investigate yeah. a little bit more into the characters. And honestly, yeah, because I, I like... really think it's Nikolai. <laughs> I think it's well, Nikolai. who's <laughs> like, this is Jamie. This is what Jamie would do. Whatever it says on the page. Nikolai just tries to be Jamie, is my impression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, All right, so Xerxes has been quite busy with her cousin <laughs> Lancel. She also receives a letter informing her of Jamie's capture. A naked Lancel is excited about the prospect of going to war as he has just been knighted, but Xerxes tells him to shut up and get back in bed. 
I love that Lance will basically <laughs> calls her old in this scene. He's like, was it like this when you were young? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Only someone that young would do that and not realize what oh, a problem that is. Especially to Cersei. Oh, and it's Lance. so clear how young Lancel is. He's oh, like so, he's so skinny. Young. and he's so bad. He's like skinny little butt. Oh he's my got god. A baby face as well. I have, I have two words in my notes for this scene. Exactly two words, and they are skinny ass. That's what I, <laughs> oh, that's what I kept focusing on. I was like, so thin. I didn't remember that for the first watch. I was like, oh my goodness. Well, oh, you know, I do think it's. Un- unfortunate i mean he gets some uh, he's around in season two there's build up there and then i don't know if we're gonna see him again but um his story is uh, quite interesting too and i don't know if we're gonna get any of that you know i think we um, are i think um i think it's oh, yeah? that he's back in season five yeah oh cool cool yeah oh, good. yeah as close as we can get, I'll say it's it's pretty pretty sure thing that that you should see him in the back. It's not treason if you don't finish the story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love I well. First of all, I'm really happy that they did include the Lancel thing. I'll bet in retrospect they regret it, but I'm glad yeah. that at least this little bit of Cersei's mm. <laughs> infidelity sure. slipped through the net. Right, and... but we needed it somewhere because we haven't oh, gotten it anywhere else. Yeah, and yeah. Else. Well, hints aren't really cutting it, I don't think, later, mm. you know. No, they really aren't. They really aren't. aren't. Yeah, you know, it's funny, in the, I was, like I said, I, this is the first time, I'm going to start doing this from now on, I watched it on my computer, and so I got, like, these extras from HBO Go, and oh. um, they actually showed a screenshot of the letter that Cersei's reading, the note, and, oh, and it yes. is about Jamie, as you suspect that it's about Jamie watching yeah. it, but it is, oh, it is, yeah. she's receiving word of Jamie being captured. Oh, you know what's interesting oh, is, I think um, a few episodes back when I was watching the commentary, and I think it was when they were discussing the ponderous tome that Ned was looking at, looking at <laughs> the one that he got from Pisel, you know, the one about the histories of, of the families of Westeros. And I'm not entirely sure who was saying it, but either one of the writers or directors was saying that, Every book and every letter in the show is actually a real letter and a real yeah. book. It actually has contents in it. So someone's actually writing those letters and writing cool. those books. Yeah. Well, it was Jenny Offen Weiss's assistant, wasn't it? Wasn't it Kat who ran oh, the behind-the-scenes tr- yeah, blog think, up until now? Yeah, I think, I think she did I a lot of these. I saying that, actually, yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. she did a lot of the notes and, and things like that. I remember yeah. her. I, I listened to her. She was on Game of Owns, that podcast one time, and I listened to that episode, and she talked about how she's done many of these like little letters and notes and things like that. Mm. In, uh, she's no longer with production. Two. I should say she used to. Mm. In season two, in one of the um, scenes that Chicky and I are probably going to violently disagree about, which is a Tywin Arya scene, I know in the commentary, um, I think it's, I can't think of the, oh, it was, uh, she was a Michelle McLaren, maybe? Mm-hmm. She's a, a, a writer. But she talked about. No, like, she's, a director. she's a director. Oh, director, I'm sorry. She talked mm-hmm. about in the actual book. Maybe it's not her. It's anyhow, somebody. Was it Vanessa about, Taylor? Vanessa Taylor was a writer. Thank you. Yeah. I think, I think she's the only female writer that we've had. But she talks to somebody. Season. Somebody talks about how in the book you could open it up and there's all this stuff. It's all written down. Mm-hmm. So they kept up with mm-hmm. that at least through. And um, I want to say when I was at the um, HBO uh, Game of Thrones exhibit, they had some of like Shireen's stuff and all that. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. Oh, neat. All right, so at the Lannister camp, Tywin holds a strategy <laughs> meeting with his generals and is furious that Jamie has been captured. The Lannisters are now faced 
to fight a two a two front war with the Starks and the Baratheons. Tywin decides to retreat to Heron Hall and use it as a base of operations. He then orders Tyrion to go back to King's Landing and serve as acting hand of the king in Tywin's stead. He also orders him to leave his whore behind. Mm, <laughs> Such so a good I, scene. Yeah, like all of these scenes between Charles Dance and Peter Dinklage, just another good scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've got to say, I've got to say that <laughs> as a, on a tangent, Tywin's armor is really amazing. I oh, really yeah. Love, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. According to I the love commentary, that. it's this sort of Japanese, or they were trying for this Japanese Western oh. friends. Yeah, it looks really mm-hmm. fantastic. It befits the, uh, the man that he is, I think. It's a very powerful kind of armor. Oh, hey, Tom, mm-hmm. I meant to tell you. On the HBO Go extras thing, they had a little moment where they took a screen cap of Kevin Lannister and they like linked you to the family tree of the Lannisters. So it's yeah. like they actually gave him like a moment on the HBO Go thing. Like they, oh, <laughs> wow. I mean, he's so focusing on him. He deserves it. They yeah. do that in season two. He has lines and stuff too. And then we never see him again. And hopefully he'll be returning. <laughs> well, actually, I hope he won't be returning because that means he'll survive. Oh. But, oh. um, no, I just, just I love this scene. Them. Even when, and even when Charles Dance has his back to the camera, I'm just riveted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. It's such a good moment for Tyrion too. This moment when, you know, Tywin basically needs him, and it's such a good character moment for Tyrion in the books and here too. You can kind of see it. Dinklage. It's so funny how Dinklage really rises to the occasion when he's with Charles Dance. But you know, yeah. you can just see it yeah. in his face. You know, the the oh wow, you know, like you somebody's know, trusting me. They really need me here. Right, but you know <laughs> what doesn't come. A, you know what doesn't come across in this scene, to me at least, in the books, Tyrion is actually angry at this unusual display of parental acknowledgement from Tywin because he believes it's only because Tywin has given up Jamie for Dan. That doesn't really come across in this scene. To me in this scene it just looks like Tyrion is like, wow, he's actually acknowledging me as his son. He looks very pleased with it, very shocked but very pleased. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the running themes of the show kind of missed a little bit. Um, you know, like they tried but you know, first, first Tyrion's the captive, and Jamie's trying to get him back. And Jamie, Jamie, I'm, I pretty firmly believe in books that Jamie escalates the conflict so that there's no choice but to make sure Tyrion is retrieved. Mm-hmm. And then once it's Jamie who's the captive, you know, Tyrion just pulls out all the stops to get him back. You know, like just that love that those two brothers have yeah. between them is is so beautifully done in the books. And you see glimpses of it in the show, but yeah, they they kind of drop the ball a little bit until season four, I guess, when they make up for all of it. <laughs> They make right. up and then drop the ball a little bit again. Right. <laughs> I, I don't think, I mean, this is just another instance. We were just talking about the complexity. I mean, the anger Tyrion has, I mean, it's a, it's a shade of gray they could have painted mm-hmm. and they chose not to. You know, it's just they do that so consistently that by the time you're done, he really isn't, they don't get the essence of Tyrion, I don't think. No, they don't. Yeah. He's flattened. He's definitely. I mean, I, I, the Tyrion's anger is is a big part of him, especially in the later books, and yeah. you really, really, really don't get a lot of that at all. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we're back in Essos now, and Danny learns of her miscarriage. Rhaegar was born dead and deformed, covered in scales. The majority of her Kalisar has abandoned her. Drogo is in a vegetative state. And she demands to know why. 
Mary Mazder explains that this was revenge for all the horrible acts the Dothraki did to her in her village. She also claims revenge against Rago. Now her stallion who mounts the world can no longer burn cities and slaughter innocents. Uh, so, so much happens in this scene. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Um, you know, I gotta say, and, and you know, I'm not going to get into how I feel about Amelia Clark too much, but Ian Glenn was the perfect choice to be there when Danny wakes up, you know, to have mm-hmm. Jorah be the one yeah. who's there and who tells her that Rago died and everything. I mean, he helps carry so many of these scenes. <laughs> he does. No, he does. He really yeah, does. he really does. And he gives them the emotional weight that they need that maybe they wouldn't have had without him there. I mean, he is unbelievable in this. Mm-hmm. The way that when, the when Danny wakes up, he's there and he like, he like puts his sword away and he like moves toward her. Oh, God. So good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say they hit it out of the park when they cast. I don't, I don't know the actress's name, but she's really good. Mia as, uh Oh, she was. Yeah. Who oh, plays yeah. Mary Mazda? Yeah. <laughs> Mary Mazda? Yeah. Mary Mazda? <laughs> but, I mean, what she's saying, and I mean, the way she delivers it, it's just perfect. I mean, because she could have gone full out Aiden Gillen, you know, ha ha ha, look what I did. And, you know, she doesn't. Mm-hmm. She brings a lot of depth to it that I really liked. Well, she believes um, it. That's the great thing about yeah. Mary Mazdor is she completely <laughs> believes mm-hmm. what she's doing. And, you know, the funny thing about all of this that, you know, you kind of see when you step back a little bit is that, you know, Danny really is Mary. I mean, they have the same story. You know, they, they've yeah. had their homes and everything taken, their families killed. Um, and they've been, you know, thrown into this this world that they didn't ask for and didn't want. And um, it's which makes it all the more interesting how Danny deals with it. <laughs> with yeah, Mary she just since really they're the same the point entirely or maybe she yeah, gets the point yeah. she can't you know yeah I think this is one of the things that happens yeah. I'm sorry I keep talking over everybody I apologize no it's fine you're fine it's okay Hi. it's okay Kama. <laughs> um, God knows I'll talk over gonna... anybody dude <laughs> I'm Sicilian I interrupt so yeah no. <laughs> I was just gonna say this is I think one of the things that's really frustrating with watching and it and I'm not going to rag on Amelia Clark here. For once, I'm not going to do that. There'll be plenty of other opportunities. <laughs> but um, <laughs> she's, she's, you know, she is not a 14-year-old girl. She's not 15. She's an adult woman. And mm-hmm. Danny is young. And Danny makes these mistakes and lacks judgment because she's a teenager. But mm-hmm. when you're watching an adult person in those roles it's very hard to to sort of say oh hey she's only 14 or she's only 15 or whatever she's supposed to be and you know you see uh mary mazdur who's you know she's a grown woman she's you know and it's and then you see danny who's you know i don't know i think that's one of the issues i'm having it's partly how she's written I disagree with Miri's methods, but she has oh, a yeah, point. Oh, yeah, I totally do. She but, has a yeah. point. And the, I, what I like about this scene is that despite not really taking it on board, Danny, or at least the audience, gets a little bit of a reality check. Because yeah. Danny, Danny is saying to Miri, but I saved you. She doesn't understand why Miri would then turn on her. But... But what did Danny save? I mean, as Mary says, she'd already been raped three times. Her village had been pillaged. Her people were slaughtered. 
And she says this really great line. This is taken from the book, but it's it's in the show as well. It's just a little bit different. He, she says, look to your Carl and see what life is worth when all the rest is gone. And it's such a, it just rings really true to me. You know, Drogo was going to go on and do this to other villages yeah, as his yeah. son would have yeah. done, you know, the yeah. stallion who mounts the world. So, you know, while, whilst I may not agree with the way Miri went about it and exactly what she did, I I can't see her as this one-dimensional villain. And I know you guys don't see her as a one-dimensional no. villain either, but no. I, do, I do see a lot of that on the message boards. Yeah, it's she so weird. I, mean, I don't even see her as any kind of villain, I, frankly. I very much I think, sympa- yeah, I very mm-hmm. much sympathize This seems reasonable her, yeah. to me. Absolutely. I mean, like, in, yeah. in her position, you know, you do whatever you could, and, and you know, that's you can't right. really blame her. And um, it sort of underscores how Danny just continues to, and that's, that's a theme in the book, but she just continues to, like, sort of, the, these things get brought up to her, but she sort of misses the point. And whether that's because, you know, you can see the crazy eye kind of set in when she talks to people. That she just, you know, she it's like she just doesn't. And whether that's because of insanity, the Aries thing or not, she's missing it. You know, she's getting these opportunities to learn from these things. Every mm-hmm. single conqueror, you know, everything they do. And she just doesn't get it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, that's well, it. You know, it's funny. In the books, she's fresh off hallucinations at this point. Hasn't she been sick and she's hallucinating yeah. yeah. yes. around yeah. this time? Yeah. And yeah, and yeah I mean, you know. Postpartum depression and all that and baby yeah, dying. Well, yeah, well, understandably. That's, that's over sure, the edge, yeah. Yeah, and infected. I'm sure she had. <laughs> I'm sure there were fevers and infection and all kinds of things going on. But yeah, you know, it, with Danny in the books, you know, it, she really does come a little bit unhinged at this point. Understandably, it's not that it isn't understandable, but, you know, yeah, it's, uh, some of her behavior here. And, you know, this is the point, I think they don't really show it, but like, isn't she obsessed with the dragon eggs at this point, I think, too? Yeah, she, she yeah. calls for them. She actually is holding on to one of them. Yeah, and I wonder how yeah. Reflecting back to the whole, because um, and I, for, I read about it, and I forgot the name of it. There was an incident where Ares kind of, they said, sort of tipped Ares over. That he'd always sort of been eccentric, but it just pushed him over the edge. And he you was know, I think, captive. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I forget the name yeah. of the the name of the people that did it, but yeah, it, this sort of to me sort of hints at like this sort of started, you know, her going into the fire and the eggs and the you know whole start of it for her. Except you know, if that's where they're going. <laughs> Except it's real. That's the funny thing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah know, really, yeah. It's interesting, <laughs> I, I noticed, wanted... and since... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Calm. No, I just had a question, which can wait, so go ahead. I was just going to say, since you just reread this, uh, YD, isn't... They left out the line, isn't it Miri who says the line about, about Danny, when, when she's saying all the stuff about the whatever when the sun sets in the in the mm-hmm. east or whatever and she, isn't that when she says the thing about danny delivering a living child or whatever the yeah, line is they left that out right yeah uh, they left it out they did leave it out i'm just uh, trying to remember if it was exactly in this scene i think it was i, I think, think it's right. miri yeah. i feel like it's yeah. miri who tells her that who says yeah, that she's is, never going to deliver a, oh a yes no child. it's definitely miri that says that yes yeah and and it's interesting to me that they've left it out mm-hmm. um i don't know what that's about Especially mm. since, you know, you could say all kinds of shit to somebody. It doesn't mean it's true. Yeah, true. you're never going to have a kid. True. Boom. And then surprise. And you know what else is funny, especially now in light of having recently read The World of Ice and Fire, is when they talk about Danny's baby um, being born with the scales and and wings okay. and things like that. Oh, we hear that this happens occasionally with the Targaryens. It seemed like kind yes. of a one-off with Danny because of the mm. black magic that she walked into while she was giving birth. But yeah, right. it, this is actually a Targaryen thing that happens. Yeah. Oh. So, mm. you know, you don't know whether or not it was the magic or was it 
it was it destined to happen oh. anyway? <laughs> we don't yeah. Know. Oh yeah, yeah. It's gonna die anyway. Yeah, mm. yeah. So I well, have a, a question, mm-hmm. if I could. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I have read some things on various message boards that suggest that um, she poisoned Drogo, but hmm. you know, I just assumed because he keeps ripping off the patch she puts on him and, you know, sepsis mm. happens pretty fast and it doesn't take much. I mean, there oh, are people yeah. in the 20th century who had a blister burst who died. So I yeah, just isn't assumed... it that he's not being reasonable about keeping it clean or something? Yeah. yeah something he's, like got, that. he's got like a poultice or something over his, over his chest and he just won't wear it. And I think that's, I don't know if it has antiseptic oh, properties or whatever, but yeah, that it sort of indicates that that is what led to the infection. So I, I, I always assumed that she was actually trying to treat him. And then, yeah. you I know, so. <laughs> at the end, it's like, okay, opportunity, let's go. You right, know? yes. But yeah, I, no, I, know I, I never got the feeling that Miri killed Drogo. I, yeah, that was never my impression. I mean, I'm sure they would have found out really quickly if she tried. I mean, they would have been watching what she was putting on him and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think I don't think that's the case. Okay. Okay. All right, so at the wall, Jon Snow learns of his father's death and prepares to leave to join Rob's army. Ignoring Sam's pleas to stay and fulfill his oaths, he leaves Castle Black only to be followed by his friends. Sam hits a tree and is, un- is unhorsed. Jon turns back to help him. <laughs> so Sam- he also lets out the girliest squeal I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. What? Well, which the, the commentary they said that was a woman. I didn't know that. This, it was a stunt woman, and yeah. that's why it's a scream. Oh, and they really? let him in. <laughs> Sam's stunt double was England's bare-knuckled bo- boxing champion or something. <laughs> oh, my, oh my God. God. It wasn't yeah. scripted. Her hitting the tree wasn't scripted. Something blew oh, up no. like a light right, blow yes. up. Yeah, and right. then they kept it in because it was so cool. They figured oh, he could have a girly scream. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it so it that wasn't it's, scripted. It oh, that, that was so good. good. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So Sam, Grin, and Pippar surround John and recite their oaths to the Night's Watch. And then John decides to go back to the wall. He sure does. That was like peer mm-hmm. pressure, man. They were all standing there. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a giving scene. him a guilt trip. <laughs> oh, I love this scene. Yeah, I thought, I especially after, was it? I forget who said it, but in one of the previous episodes, somebody said that um, the oath-taking really didn't have a lot of resonance to it, a lot of power, and it has it here. I agree. I really liked this scene, yeah. You sort of really get that that uh, sense of brotherhood from from the guys. I really enjoyed that. Well, that's it. This is what I love so much about um, the story at the wall is just, you know, the, the brotherhood that they do have with one another. And the show... I think they try really hard. I think, I think, you know, like we hear people saying it doesn't really resonate with them in the books. It totally resonates with me. You know, the, the the friendship that develops and this is a really good moment for it too. Oh, it's so funny. You know, (laughs) when you, when you see these moments, I mean, they they could be a little bit corny, but there's something about the actors. They managed to really sell it as just genuine and and believable. And so good. I agree. It's, um, I don't know, is it because of a, it's like a certain innocence about it rather than it being campy or something. I'm not entirely sure, but you're right. They do sell it. It is an innocence. That's totally what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Just a little bitty scene in the Lannister camp. Tyrion complains about his father 
to Shay and then decides to take Shay to King's Landing anyway. <laughs> Shay the funny whore. Drama. <laughs> <laughs> I do I did like it when she's like, so he said my name, right? Right. Yeah. Shay, she did not take Shay to court. Uh, uh. No, she just... I was about to say, does Shay go to law school? She's like trying to find the loophole. Are you sure she specified <laughs> me? Because <laughs> <laughs> And then Tyrion goes ahead and calls Tywin a cut, which I thought Connor enjoyed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Back to Danny. It's night and she's tending to tending to Drogo. She bathes him, even tries to seduce him, but nothing but nothing happens. Nothing she does will reach him. She realizes he's no longer there. Crying, Danny kisses him goodbye, then smothers him with a pillow. I gotta say, in the book, she does a little more than just kiss him. I don't know if you guys yeah. remember, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. No, I don't remember. Honestly, what I does don't she do? Either, I to me. Well, she. <laughs> oh no, I shouldn't have brought it up. Not quite Ophelia, but dun, you know, dun, quiet. Dun. But she, um, yeah, she she tries. She well, she try she tries, but she can't. Um, and then she oh. says something like, well, she can please him in other ways. Um, oh, okay, I see. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying he got a good send-off, that's what I'm hearing? He got a good send-off. Happy yeah. ending. <laughs> you got a happy ending? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, so moving on, we're going to go with... Paisel takes Roz to bed, revealing he's actually far less frail than he appears. He boasts to Roz of the several great kings he has served. Eris, Robert, and now Joffrey. Those were all great kings. Yes. (laughs) Except it's, of course, an act, which I love. I, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Ian, go ahead. That's... Oh, that was it? That's it. <laughs> okay, Does so they do this because Julian Glover complained about not having enough yeah. to do. Yes, honestly, no. this is an absolutely great interview. It's long. It's like fifteen or twenty minutes, which for some of oh, these wow. people is unheard of. But yeah, you know, the guy's been around. Movie. He's been in like pretty much every franchise there is: Bond, uh, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, etc. But he evidently, I don't know. I'm assuming he wasn't under contract, but he went to them and said, you know, you're not giving me enough to do. And I don't know, but they evidently put this scene in for him and also a scene that got cut later. Mm-hmm. The Taiwan fishing scene oh. in season three. Oh, right. Well, you know what? It makes yeah. sense that they added this scene in just to placate him because this is an absolutely fucking pointless scene. Okay. Yeah, we get it. Parcel's not actually frail. He's just another player in the Game of Thrones. But it seriously, was waste wasting off. minutes on this scene was and I, ridiculous. Know, and of course, it's more more sex position. Of course, his, I oh, yeah. also, the it's there brigade, also. Yeah. I think to establish that Roz is kind of moving up. That she's actively spying for um, uh, Lord Twatbeard. Yeah, there, honestly, right? I mean, it's just unnecessary. Oh, God, we don't need. We didn't need this scene at all. I could. I was just. What? I could. It was so distracting. His wispy beard. It was like so... wispy. <laughs> His wispy beard. <laughs> I actually didn't mind it. I thought it was a little bit of a breather. I mean, I could have done without seeing him doing squats. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's like again, be careful of the uh, the male nudity you wish for. We just want it like this, David and Dad. Like, not like, like this. Cancel. 
We get skinny ass Lancel <laughs> and like saggy Pycelle. Like, oh. We get like Lancel, <laughs> Pycelle, Hodor. This is what, what? you get. When do we and get like Bob and dude, Jamie got, like, and Ragnarine the horses? <laughs> oh, no. that's what we get. Oh god. oh god! And then it also, it, I know, and it's like I try not to like go on too much about the stuff, but it just irritated me so bad. The clothes, like when she's putting on her clothes, it's like us, like a thin, thin, thin sheet. Like they walk around, like I just never got that from the books that in King's Landing they walked around in like thin sheets, like that they were basically like open in the back. Like it just irritates me. I I find the clothes so puzzling because you have the. <laughs> Some of the noble ladies are wearing like these heavy brocades with all this fabric and sleeves. Then you've got some who are in much wispier things. And then, but it doesn't seem to, you know, be an age dependent thing. It could be there's one 20 year old in that, one 20 year old in that. And then the whores are basically running around naked. This is not. Yeah, how yeah. This it's works. actually they might as well be naked with chains around their necks. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and Roth also has the same hairstyle as Sansa. Like, who copied her? Uh- well, yeah, there's no cast. Like, you know, you could get if they had all... Yeah, that's true. Mm. Well, Sansa copies. That's, that I yeah, do it's a, like. It's a South She's thing. copying She's Cersei. Yeah. style. Yeah. Because, oh. and um, again... Yeah. And a, nor- a Northern Redhead just later. has to fit in in King's She Lynn. sure does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, northern, a Northern Redhead whore just has to do what she can to get by. And, and it's like Sansa, too. Like, She's not just Ross. <laughs> But this is what I'm saying. Like, it makes sense to me that Roz would have a hairstyle that's popularized by the queen. I get that. Because that's how that works. You just have the cheaper, low-rent copy. But that would translate to clothes, too. You know? Generally, Mm -hmm. you have a similar style. And you don't have some totally different, like, all these servant girls are... And it's not just the horse. It's like the maids and stuff walk around in these years. Yes! It's a I understand the brothel. I understand the horrors, but every it's weird. It's just weird. And I yeah, know it's just yeah, so no, they can I agree. show more body, but well, know. and you can mm-hmm. tell the interior scenes are are shot somewhere cold because you see things like Cersei like wrapped up in these like shawls and stuff that you just kind yeah. of have yeah. the impression must be because it's yeah, cold there. I was like, well, yeah. this doesn't jive with the blaring heat that we just saw a second ago when you were exactly. outside of this exactly. <laughs> castle. Because the, exteriors, the exteriors are in Malta for King's Landing and the interiors are obviously, well, presumably in, uh, I don't know, would there be in the the, oh. st- the stages or in, in Ireland somewhere. Northern Ireland. Somewhere. Yeah, Northern Ireland. I think it's all somewhere. in Northern Ireland. Yeah, I yeah. think they started in Northern Ireland with the interiors. Yeah, and they I did assume. I don't really mention, know much about the production of this season. They did actually mention in an upcoming scene, the one with the Lord Commander and John, that oh, was it that scene? No, I'm not entirely sure. Oh no, sorry, it was actually the one we just discussed with Parcel. That apparently it was so cold in that room that they actually had to take out some of the breath because you could see the breath frosting <sighs> in the air. Oh wow! And they yeah. made that poor actress walk around naked right? for that. Yeah, oh. and then uh-huh. wash her crotch and everything. Right, yeah. and I yeah. hope that was warm water. Mm. <laughs> All right. So next Classy. we have Yorin. So next we have Yorin assemble a band of recruits for the Night's Watch. We have Arya pretending to be a boy called Ari, Hot Pie, Lamy Green Hands, and Gendry. Gendry was recently fired from Tobomot's Forge and told to join the Night's Watch. Hot Pie and Lamy try to bully Arya into giving up Needle. Gendry quickly breaks them up and takes Arya's side. And Yorin now has to get them all to the wall, a thousand leagues away, through war-torn riverlands. 
So this here, I love Yoren. Yeah, too. this is this is tough love done right. Alistair Thorne should take some notes. <laughs> no, seriously though, Yoren is kind of like one of those unsung heroes of this story. Yeah. He, as we know, he goes on to to save those kids, um, or some of them at least. He, he dies to protect the kids that he's taking to the wall. And obviously we've got him here also saving Arya. And, yeah, it's, it's not really something that they push to the forefront in the, in the show. You get more of it in the books. When I, when I read Euron's death scene, spoiler, in the books, it was, it was really an emotional moment for me. But I did like the way that this scene played out. Oh, he's good. It was so that interesting. They excellent. showed they showed the prisoners in the wagon, you know, that are supposed mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. Jacques <laughs> and Roche. Yeah. And Roche and Biter. Yeah, and they have a hood on who, the person who's clearly supposed to be Jacques, and it's like, right? it's so like we not haven't quite cast we haven't, yet or something. We haven't cast <laughs> this guy yet, so we're just going to stick a, <laughs> stick a back over his head for the time being. I actually, when I saw that, I was like, is this some of the source of the Serio Jacques and stuff? Is this Because I know show watchers are much more likely to think that. <laughs> it was Serio at the time. <laughs> but, you know, the funny thing is, is that they have, they've done this before where they'll cast, like, they're like placeholder characters. Like, in season two... Mm-hmm. They have this actress who I assumed was meant to be Celise, but she's clearly, she didn't look anything like Tara Fitzgerald. But, you know, I just, I don't know why they didn't bother to just do that as opposed to putting this dude with the head, you know, or the hood on. But yeah, They've done that a couple mm-hmm. of times. This scene is also where we get our first uh, <laughs> the little uh, beginnings of Arya and Gendry, if you mm-hmm. are so inclined to ship that. <laughs> Yeah, I love it that we get the Stark Baratheon buddy story again happening yeah. like right at the end of this episode. It's yeah. pretty awesome. Oh yeah, and hot pie, mini hot pies. Hot pie. Oh, hot pies a little. Hot pie. <laughs> oh god, I, I mean, like it's funny how even the kids from the not so big parts are such good actors in the show. I yeah. mean, like it's, yeah. these guys are great. Yeah, at least they are. <laughs> All right, so next we have Jorah Mormont decides to overlook Jon's desertion. He tells Jon that the war between the Lannister and Starks is less important than what they face now, a renewed threat from the wildlings, white walkers, and whites. Mormont means to lead the North, the, the Night's Watch, in forests north of the Wall to learn more of their foe and try to find poor Uncle Benjen. Jon agrees to commit Benjen. himself fully to the Night's Watch. You had him at Hot Uncle Benjamin. He's like, yeah, we're going to go out to find Hot Uncle Benjamin. Okay, so this, this has one of my favourite lines from the first book, and that is when the Lord Commander says to John, Honour made you leave, Honour brought you back. And John responds, uh, my friends brought me back. And the Lord Commander said, I didn't mean it. I didn't say it was your honour that brought you back. So, yeah, quite like that bit. Uh-huh. Yeah, this was really well done. And again, you know, just a setup for the upcoming season. And I love the way that they leave, you know, going through the tunnel. That is such a cool shot. Like It's a great the, shot. Yeah, yeah, they have the door opening to the tunnel under the wall and, and you see it slowly raising and it reveals Mormont and all these men behind him. And then you watch them go through. I mean, really, really yeah. cool. So cool. Oh, yeah, I love this. And it was just this scene right here was really what made me like just really I was just so excited about seeing the next season I was just like I want to know what's going to happen next 
<laughs> yeah, it's one of those. Yeah. It's one of those. Another one of those sort of epic moments that we got earlier on, like with the King in the North. That you you sort of get the immensity of the story, and John again is getting a bit of a reality check here with the Lord Commander saying, you know, do you think your brother's war is more important than ours? You know, they may be fighting amongst themselves, but God knows what we're going to be facing when we yeah. go north of the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mm-hmm. I thought these. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. You go ahead, Comma. Now, I was going to say, I, I thought these last three scenes, the Arya, um, Gendry, and Yorin, this one, and the one that's there, you have such, um, I don't know, a sense that it's going to be better. At least I did the first time mm. I saw it. And I find it really <laughs> ironic that I'm watching this going, okay, King in the North, that's what got Rob killed. You know, I'm going through all the things that, yeah, you probably shouldn't have taken most of your men out there to go, you know, all these things that just go It's so funny that you mentioned that because Chicky and I were talking the other day and I can say that because Lot's not here. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, this is the cool Aunt Eon show. I love your Aunt Eon. (laughs) She she lets us, uh, she's going to give us ice cream after this. Anyway, so... Because, as you know, I'm rereading or just finished rereading A Game of Thrones. And Chicky and I have been discussing how hard it is to go back and read that first book where everyone's sort of, well, not everyone, but there's a sort of innocence <laughs> to it. Um, all the Stark kids are happy. We've got, <laughs> you know, it's all, it's all kind of fun and games. Not just the Stark kids, you know, you've got, yeah. Uh, and then anyway, so the shit just hits the fan and then you know that it's just going to get worse from here and it's never going to get better. So it's a really, you know, I loved rereading it, but it's also an emotionally fraught journey to go back to the beginning and just see, I don't know, how different things were then and how how dark everything has gotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So do you want to go back to Danny oh, right now? I gotta say no. one last thing. This <laughs> sure, is hilarious. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a stay, Chicky, just for one second. In the commentary. <laughs> they are fangirling hardcore over what's the actor's name? James Cosmo, who plays the Lord yeah. Commander. Yeah. They're talking about how buff he is. And I think one of them oh. says James had to come in to do some ADR and he was wearing a t-shirt and one of them's like, yeah, and he's got 30-inch biceps. Oh, my God. I think they were being his shoulders are broad. But, yeah, they were talking about um, how how good the casting was and he really does, I agree, he sort of cuts this really commanding figure. He really does suit the role, I think. And he also has that sort of gravelly voice which gives it some gravitas as well, especially Mm. when they're doing that voiceover when they're they're heading north. I'm Googling Mm -hmm. him. Oh, my God, he does have. (laughs) (laughs) There's a man that could uh, lift you up and spin you around. (laughs) I like anyway. the turn this is taking. I bet you I'll go find Jorm. Uh, I don't know how you say his name. Find some fanfic. Read. Oh, the Lord Commander. Anyway, please carry on, Ian. Uh, all right. Okay. So Danny and her small group prepare a funeral pyre for Drogo. She has Ricaro place the dragon eggs on the pyre. Miri Mazdur is tied to a stake next to the pyre as well. She tells Danny that she will not scream while she is burned alive. Daenerys insists that she will, 
And Jorah pleads with Danny to not kill herself. She kisses his cheek and sets the pyre light. As Mary Mazder screams, Danny calmly walks into the flames and is consumed. And then Daddy dies and Westeros is and okay. then, oh god, I the can... birth of some weapons oh. of mass destruction is on us right now, right? Eon, is that what's coming? Is that what you're going to tell us? Yeah, yeah. Oh. then at dawn, <laughs> Jor and the rest awake to find Danny sitting among the still smoldering embers with three newly hatched dragon eggs crawling over her. She's completely unburned and she's naked. She's covered yeah. in soot. And she is and... completely unburned, including her hair. Yeah. yeah, her hair. And are we going to mention that that is the rattiest looking wig I've ever seen? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, in this case, I'll excuse it. It shouldn't be ratty. It should be non-existent. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, she okay. should be bald, but that's another story. Well, it's like the better the wigs get, the worse the acting gets, so I don't know. Sorry. God, I hope Amelia Clark never listens to this. Well, podcast. I think it's part I think it's partly how it's written. I think it's partly how it's interpreted and how they're writing her. Like I think she she has an interpretation of how they want it to be played, and I suspect that's part of it. I don't think she's the worst actress, I just think that plays a part, you know, like you how know, they're selling it. I, I have think a theory on part of the problem with of... her. Okay. She was good okay. in some of the first, you know. Go on. <laughs> I think part of I think part of it with her is her voice. I think she has trouble doing anything really subtle with her voice. I think she mm-hmm. she she's very stage trained and she's just never learned that kind of subtle film thing because yeah. honestly a lot of it I mean I don't love I don't love what she does with her face a lot of the time but you know it probably wouldn't matter as much if she could just modulate her voice a little bit I agree I think that's you, really where her get... biggest problem is it often does it often stagey yeah it does some stagey yeah it often does sound quite monotone to me quite and it adds to the wooden acting so I agree with you well it's I think she's she's pushing it of. you know yeah, but, but she tries to get this rich sound. It's all diaphragm. And it's like, no, sometimes you got to be ragged. Sometimes you have to whisper. Sometimes, you know, you can't sound good <laughs> because because well, it's a terrible moment Yeah, in your that's life, what I mean. You know? there's, no, there's no variation there for me. Yeah, Has yeah. she been in anything else? Because I can't honestly say because I haven't she seen her. She was fresh like, out of drama school when they okay. cast her. I don't know if she's done any sort of plays or anything. I don't she know has. that she's done anything she on film before this. reviews. Oh, she's done some since she's started filming Game of Thrones. Yeah, I think there was one. I'm not sure if there was a second, but her reviews were not good. Um, I don't think she comes from a, you know, a rich, long theater tradition either. I think she, you know, went to drama school, got cast and did a couple other things. I could be wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the kind of thing, you know, and we talk about this. I mean, you're grading her on a curve. I mean, like, compared to a lot of American actresses, I'll just say that flat out. She's amazing. You know, I mean, it's just yeah, the yeah, fact yeah. that the rest of the cast is so good that and speaking when of, there is someone who's not up to par, they, yes. they stick out. Speaking of the rest of the cast, thank God for Ian Glenn, really. Oh, God, he sells he is, this whole damn he thing. He sells this scene, and not just this scene, honestly, when he is acting opposite Amelia it does elevate her a little bit I think um but yeah this is one of those scenes that could have really fallen flat it could have been almost comical in its execution with the the whole CGI dragons and whatnot but Ian Glenn's response to this scene is really I think what actually Mm. gives a little bit of credibility for me I agree with you he sells it man yeah, I it was a we should give we should give her a little credit because she did have to act 
like there were dragons on her that weren't there. So that's there is. True. I'll give yeah, her that. <laughs> it must have been yeah, a little tough. Well, I think it was odd how they filmed it a little bit. Like, and it didn't occur to me the first time I saw it, but this time it did. Like, and I guess it was probably for lighting issues, but it seems strange that she was just curled up in a ball. There was nothing around her. Like, nobody noticed, you know, until that moment. Like, it was just, you know, it's It's like the color star is just around her fast asleep. Like, yeah. no one woke during the night. She's just very sound sleepers. Human beings alive, they're screaming, all sorts of stuff, and nobody, yeah, it is a little strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, guys, we just finished season one. Oh, wow, oh, God. We did, we did it. High fives all around. Look, High fives. We made it. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so do we have any any thank yous? <laughs> Why yes, we do. <laughs> Oh, guys, we got, after my desperate plea for reviews last week, we actually got and, a little and bit of it, it was a desperate plea. A I'm beautifully yes. desperate plea. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, so we have a few. Um, so we have some from Tumblr. The first is from Ananon, who says, So I'm a bad listener because I kind of pick up the podcast sporadically and I decided to listen to the Season 1, Episode 9 podcast. But guys, you don't talk about Jamie all that much in this episode. I thought this was a Jamie and Brienne podcast. I'm kidding. I love you guys. I think Jamie was glorious in this episode. His lines were amazing. And we even got a glimpse of how badass Jamie is in the battlefield through Theon's line when he slayed all of Rob's men. And that also showed how rational Rob was not to engage when Jamie asked him to have single combat with him. I think it's important for Rob's development. He is a promising leader, but sadly he fucked up when he decided not to hold on to his oath. He sure did. Also, I just fucking realised that they did the I Never Drinking game in Game of Thrones, and that makes me sad for an entirely different reason. (laughs) I also love the little game at the end of the episode. You're amazing as usual, guys, and I should be more regularly leaving you guys a message. Sorry this is long. Never apologised for long, awesome reviews like that, Anon. That's... Well, thank, thank you, you Anon. That was really sweet. Yes. I just realized uh, I orgasmed all over Jamie in this episode, so maybe that'll make you happier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's lots of <laughs> me, I think me too. It's a mess. Um, so second review also from Tumblr <laughs> from a user called Senarivs Sinari- uh, and they say, your podcast has inadvertently resulted in my love for Jamie and especially Brienne increasing by tenfold, leading to the inevitable construction of what is now a fully functional floating cruise ship. (laughs) I must tell you, it's a welcome retreat from the dark days spent shipping sand sand. (laughs) Much love love for the podcast. Did we convert it to shipper? Is that what I'm hearing here? I think we did. (laughs) Sounds like it. Sounds like. Yeah. Wow. We're doing God's work, guys. (laughs) Speaking of. Speaking of. I'll just I'll just quickly finish this one. Much love for the podcast. You've become one of my favorites. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. So speaking of doing God's work, our next review from Tumblr is from female Jesus. (laughs) Oh, really? It's an awesome name. Awesome name. So female Jesus says, sorry. Oh, I don't know why that's so funny. Okay. Hey, guys. Just wanted to say I absolutely love you guys and your podcasts. I'm new to the Game of Thrones, a Song of Ice and Fire series, but these podcasts are definitely going to keep me going until April. 
Oh, that's really oh, lovely. Thank, thank you, you so much. Email Jesus. <laughs> Get out. That's awesome. Out. I've been waiting to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving along. The last review from Tumblr is from Jess, who was our awesome guest last week, Joyous Follies. Um, and she says, ladies, thank you so much for allowing me to guest on last week's podcast. I had so much fun. You were all so lovely and supportive. Thank you for helping me calm my nerves and for putting up with my wine-soaked banter. I love you all. <laughs> and we love you oh, and your Jess. wine-soaked banter. We love you, I Jess. love you. We have <laughs> one review from Jamie Brienne Online from Alias SD6. And she says, I finally caught up on the last few episodes. It was fun and informative as always. Thanks for keeping me entertained during my work day. P.S. Has Lot watched Monty Python yet? I say don't let her back into the podcast until she does. We're on it. We're on it, dude. We are so on it. Um, so we did receive one email as well from Math Camel, who says, Hi, girls, you continue to be great. Uh, since Jamie is going into uncanon territory in season five, what do you hope you'll see? What do you fear that you'll see? What do you know that you'll see? I think we will... Uh, probably address that in a later podcast matchup we do have some things to say about season five so never so thank you so much for the email thanks and lastly we have a couple of itunes reviews both from australia (laughs) (laughs) go australia um the first one is by kim uh she's underwater woods on tumblr she says Thought I'd try to satisfy this podcast hilarious. We must have an iTunes review from Australia needs by going back in time to when I lived there and saying, (laughs) I don't know what to say about this podcast that hasn't already been said on the multitudes uh, of relevant networking sites, but it's funny, it's dedicated, it's relaxed, and perhaps most importantly of all, it represents what to me is the heart of the JB and Brand community, voicing both widespread and niche insights into this wonderful ship. Special episodes like Spousecast give surprising and enriching perspectives on both the fan community and the podcast itself. And I can say without a single hint of sarcasm that the horse metaphors are gold. (laughs) Pure (laughs) wine spilling gold. Now, we haven't had any of those for a while. I'll try harder next season. (laughs) So thank you so much, Kim, from, well, not in Australia anymore by the sounds of it, but thank you for that. And our last one is just a brief little review on iTunes. From Cots82, stop throwing wine. Australia loves you. My favorite, yes. a, my favorite is Song of Ice and Fire podcast. Keep it up, awesome ladies. So oh. after that, uh, <laughs> that plethora of love, I'm feeling very, very. Uh, you see, like, Australia, very Australia wants to see Chicky in a sports bra. Oh, um, we will be sending out your chicky in a sports bar pictures ASOP. Right, right. <laughs> so that is all for thank yous. Well, okay, so Thanks if so you much, do you have any any questions <laughs> or comments, you can reach us at close the door and at Gmail or on our Tumblr. Or you can like and review us on iTunes. I'm looking at you, UK. I'll even go further and say we need some Texas comments on on iTunes as well, but especially the UK. We need those UK comments. Yeah, where's the Texas comments, damn it? Come on. I know. There are some Texas people that, that read. That 
read. Yes. <laughs> Some people in Texas can read. Get on the Texas <laughs> iTunes, damn it. Yes. <laughs> All right. So lastly, I'd just like to thank our lovely guest, Clotho, for coming back to us yeah, again. Clotho. Thank we you. always enjoy having you. <laughs> and do. as well, I'd also like to thank you, lovely ladies, for putting up with me tonight. And as thank your you moderator. So You've done my... a wonderful job, as always. <laughs> and you did a great job as well. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Oh, thank thanks. you. And um, that concludes our episode of, of season one, episode 10. We did it. We did it. We did it. Party. Now we drink thanks. more. Yes, yes, everybody. Um, <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>